Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on love. February is the month of love, and of course, we have Valentine's Day, so I thought it might be fun to do a study on love. We certainly could use a big dose of it in the world right now, right? So over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at the word love in the Bible. Have you ever heard someone say, I love pizza or I love my car? Do they mean the same kind of love that they have for their wife or their girlfriend? Well, maybe. (laughs) I'm actually thinking of that humorous Toyota commercial where we have the male character, Pat, who always seems to have equal affections for his car and his wife, and this gets him into a heap of trouble. But really, our, our word love, it can seem a bit nebulous or confusing or even limiting, which is not a good thing since we know the Bible tells us that God is love. So we're going to attempt in these next few podcasts to try to decipher what the Bible authors meant by God is love. Do you know how many times the word love appears in the Bible? Well, (laughs) there's no straightforward answer because it actually depends on what translation you have. I typically use the NIV Bible, so the word love appears 551 times. But if you use the King James Version, which apparently is less loving, the word appears only 310 times. Ah, this is the problem. Our English word love really falls short when we're trying to understand the love described in the Bible. So first, let's take a look at what the Bible authors described as love. We know the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, the Greeks and the Hebrews were much more descriptive with their love language. For example, we have four Greek words for love, eros, storge, philia, and agape. Eros is romantic love. Storge is family love. Philia is brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia, that's the city of brotherly love. That's where they got their name. And then there's this powerful agape love. And this is God's divine love. It's the love that's constant and perfect. It's God's love towards entirely unworthy humans. We're going to spend a lot of time on that word. And then what about the Hebrew words for love? Well, the Hebrew words for love are a bit more complicated, but really powerful. One of the main Hebrew words for love is a hav, and we get the root word hav, H-A-V, which means to give. And this is really cool because 
giving is really an important part of loving, isn't it? It's that selfless love that we're supposed to have for our neighbor in a perfect world, of course. The Bible uses ahav love quite a bit in the Old Testament. One example is 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, and it says, Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him, Ahav, as his own soul, unquote. Okay, let's explain this a little bit. The Bible uses this Hebrew word, Ahav, to describe this amazing bond of friendship that David had for Jonathan in the Old Testament. And if you don't know the story, it's a beautiful story of friendship and trust between these two men. And I really like the way the Bible Study Tools website described, quote, David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had his own armor. David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace and was trained in the art of war. David grew up in a little town of Bethlehem and was trained to tend sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son and in line to inherit the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys and anointed the next king in place of Jonathan. Jonathan was of the tribe of Benjamin and David from the tribe of Judah. Despite their differences, they were arguably the best friends the world has ever known, unquote. So the bond of friendship between these two is wonderfully described as the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him, Ahav, as his own soul. So the Bible uses this Hebrew word, Ahav, to describe God's tender love and mercies for his people, like in Isaiah 43, verse 4. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you, Ahav. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life, unquote. There's a Hebrew word for love, chesed, which is loyal love. And that's the love that Jesus showed in the New Testament. In human relationships, chesed implies loving our neighbor, not merely in terms of warm emotional feelings, but in acts of love and service that we owe to the other person simply because they're part of our community. God's people, according to Micah in chapter 6, verse 8, says, God's people are to do justly, to love said, and to walk humbly with their God, unquote. There's a great story in the New Testament that Jesus described this chesed love, and this is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. And this is when Jesus is asked the question, who is my neighbor? And he told this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, 
leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, asked Jesus. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise, unquote. The Hasid love for a neighbor described by Jesus in this Good Samaritan story pointed out some very important principles. First, lack of loving your neighbor is often easy for us to justify, even though it's never right. I was in a hurry. I was afraid. What could I possibly do? Second, the lesson demonstrates that our neighbor is anyone, regardless of race, creed, economic background. And love, chassed, means acting to meet someone else's need. The irony of this story is that the Samaritan who helped the man was in this group of people who were really hated by the Jews. You see, Samaritans were considered impure because they were a mixed race produced by the Jews when the Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with non-Jews after the exile. So, This despised person was the very one who exhibited what Jesus said we all need to do. Love thy neighbor. Hased thy neighbor. Very thought-provoking, isn't it? There's a Hebrew word for love called hasak, which is the love of attachment. Hashak is used in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. It's in Psalm 91, 14, and Isaiah 38, 17, when the Bible talks about God's love for his people. Hashak means to be attached to, to connect or join together. And it also means to delight in or to desire and long for. There's another Hebrew word, shabab, which means to cherish with affection. And it's metaphorically referred to as holding someone to your bosom or under God's protective wing. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 3, yes, he loves the people, shabab. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. This love, Chabab, 
draws its object close with a desire to cherish and protect it. Can't you just visualize a mother or a father cradling a small child? That's what this word implies. God loves his people with chabab, a desire to have a close relationship with them. Isn't that beautiful? There's another word, chashak, which means to have a choice, to choose out of desire. Isaiah used this love word in Isaiah 38, verse 17. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul, chashak, from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back, unquote. According to Strong's Concordance, the word kashak means to have delight, desire, longing. It can refer to God's love for his people, as in Deuteronomy 10.15, a man's love for a woman, Genesis 34.8, or our love for God, Psalm 91 verse 14. Kashak love speaks of a deliberate choice to love someone. And the list goes on. But remember, in our English language, it all hangs on one word, love. Hopefully, as we go through these podcasts, we're going to be able to see the connection between love and giving and the character of God and the incarnate Jesus who really embodied the truest love of all and We'll get some hints on how we can express this love to others. Although, let's be honest, none of us can outgive or outdo God. We're definitely supposed to emulate Him. God is love. Now, true love, the Bible says, is, wait for it, more than hormones and desire. Wait, what? Teenage boys across the country are holding their breath. Girls, women across the country are shouting, yes! What is true love, according to the Bible? It springs from the soul. Ooh, I like that. It is transcendent, which means way beyond the ordinary. And it links our deepest self to God and to those around us. Wow. In fact, God made love the highest of all his commands. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, unquote. Which one of the Greek words for love did Jesus mean here, do you think? Eros, storge, philia, agape? Love one another. That, my friends, is agape love. This agape love is God's will for each of us. It is a love for each other that is known to us only from the action of God giving us his son who died for us. This is not a love that is deserving because of some action or value seen in the recipient. No, agape love, it's a 
deliberate choice without cause, except for the fact that we're all made in the image of God and he loved us first. Now, according to Strong's Concordance, which you'll hear me say, I I use it a lot. And by the way, a concordance, okay, it's just a fancy word for like a huge dictionary where you can see how many times a word is used in the Bible and what its Greek and Hebrew translation would be, and then also how it's used in different Bible verses. And this can also be accessed online. So here's what Strong says agape means. Quote, It is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations nor does it spend itself upon only those for whom some affinity is discovered. Agape love seeks the welfare of all. It expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being, which is God, towards entirely unworthy subjects, (laughs) which is us, unquote. Whew! That kind of selfless love does not come naturally to us. In fact, it's even part of the definition. Does not always run with natural inclinations. That's an understatement. But um, this wasn't a suggestion, was it? God didn't say, okay, now on your good days, when you're feeling particularly charitable, it would be a great idea to love one another. No, it was a command. As we look around, we see many that we may deem unworthy of our agape love. We unfriend them. We turn off their podcasts. We unsubscribe to their news feeds. We yell at the TV or shut it off. Um, Well, we better look in the mirror while we're at it. Because this kind of love, this agape love, God has for us and we're called to have for each other is a love regardless of who we are, what we think, what we do, what we say, what political leanings we may have, regardless of how slowly that person is driving in the left-hand lane, regardless of what banners they have in their front yard. Yes, agape love is selfless love. It is a love for our fellow man where we're encouraged to decrease so the love of God can increase in each of us. Agape love we're not capable of producing without first acknowledging how much God loves us. That's our focus, pondering God's love for us. It's a pretty important question if we're to model our love for each other on this concept. How much does God love us? Well, (laughs) the Apostle Paul tackles that question. He makes it kind of clear in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that he who believes in him will not die but have eternal life. John described God as love, and he tried to make it as clear as possible in his first and second letters 
in the New Testament. And, and we believe that these were all written by the same John, who's the apostle, who also wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. So if you take a look at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they're just very short little letters towards the back of your Bible. I'm going to take this from 1st John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Unquote. And then a little bit later in that same letter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, unquote. John again points out that while we tend to think of love as that love and feeling, in reality, love is a choice and an action. And he reminds us God is the source of that love, that if we love, God will live in us and his love will be made complete in us. That's amazing. How can we do this? Well, the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to love. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And when we ask him to, he'll help us to be more Christ-like. God's love involves choice and action. Remember those Hebrew words for love? Our love needs to model choice and action. A good question to ask ourselves is, how well do we display our love for God in our choice 
and actions. So John wrote his letters to address all the confusing notions of love. Seems like even back in the first century AD, people were looking for that quick love fix. I know they didn't have Tinder, but they were still probably looking for love in all the wrong places. Even 2,000 years ago, the search for that idyllic relationship was most likely leaving people feeling lost and empty. John points out real love is scarce. It's selfless, caring, sharing, and even dying. Oh, I'm sure that wasn't popular. Can you imagine putting that on your eHarmony account? Must be willing to die for me. Not sure you would get many likes. The world is filled with a desire for love, but we see very few examples of it. John tells us that Christ is the antithesis of society's notions of love because he is, quote, truth and love. He says that all who claim loyalty to Christ must follow the truth. Now, that's his truth, not some made-up truth. And live the truth and act with love towards one another. But John also says that we should not expect to be loved by the world. I know this is hard. What the world offers is fleeting. And if we follow God, we can't be of this world. We have to love God, not the world. Second John chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had since the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love, unquote. We have to put our love into action. John says that this command to love one another has been around since the beginning, and he's right. It was in the book of Leviticus, which is also called the book of laws. And that was handed to us by Moses in the Old Testament, and he got that from God. Knowing God's command is not enough, though. Even the devil knows God's commands. We actually have to do it. We need to put it into action. We need to walk in love. Jesus describes this kind of love in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, unquote. As Christians, let's remember how much God loves us. He loves us with the tenderness of Ahav love, the protection of Chabab love, the delight of Kashak love. He loves us with Agape love. He chose us. Are we going to choose him? Be a blessing this week and I can guarantee you will have a blessed day.